Good evening, everyone. I, I hope everyone had a great day today. It, um, we'll give a, a as usual, we got to give a few minutes to let, you know, a few moments to get people in, all that. But tonight's Q&A, so, so please put your questions in the chat. Uh, I've got that opened up on the side of my screen here so I can see that. So um, I'm going to do I'm going to do here like I do with everyone. I'm going to ask myself what's on my mind right now. And the first thing is, as usual, is giddy up. Let's go. Hope everyone's excited for this. Um, Rick, what's on your mind right now? Well, it's still the you know, you still have to think about Ukraine. Um, you have to think about what 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 Putin is up to. He he definitely has a plan. Uh, he is he is slow slow death in Ukraine. He's doing this on purpose. He is going to starve Europe for energy. Uh, he wants to crush the U.S. dollar, and right now he's batting a pretty good batting average. He's accomplishing about everything that I think he wants to. Um, we have to be very careful here. We are fighting terrible inflation. Uh, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous how expensive things are right now. Uh, we also have to hang in there, people. Uh, I know these markets are, are, are on a downward spiral and the, and the weather is hot and it's dry and you wonder how in the world can markets go down and, and my corn crop rolls up every day. That's just part of the way this goes. And, and believe me, it will change. It will ebb the other way and this thing will take off and rally back. I, will it come back all the way? I don't know, but there is damage being done to this crop. We know that the, the, the yield levels that, that the USDA is proclaiming are very high. So I would think that the risk to the downside is probably limited at this point. But again, I'm not making any recommendations. It's just some things we need to be aware of. And we have to be aware of how much we are tied together with everyone around the world. I mean, it's, it's amazing how quick information flows and, and how quickly things can and good and go bad in a hurry so um please just keep all the ukrainians in your prayers uh they need all the help we can we can give them and um we just need to to buckle down here and embrace for probably some some harder times ahead before it's going to get better so that's that's kind of what's on my mind right now um Anybody out there got a question you'd like to start with? If not, I will just start rambling and, uh, and someone please uh, uh, interject because that's what this is for. This is Q&A. Uh, I'd like to see what's on your mind out there, see if there's something we can help with. One thing I do want to talk about tonight, I wrote this down just a few minutes ago, always expect the unexpected. I mean, that is so true of everything that we do. Um, we, we started last fall with planting cereal rye 
as our main cover crop because we were late in the fall, so we couldn't add any other species to it. It would have been a waste of money. We started at 135 pounds of rye. And by the time we got done in, in November, we were at 150 pounds of rye seeding, Elbon rye. And I'm thinking, this is gonna be great. We're going to, we're going to have all the biomass we need next year. And we are gonna have a tremendous biomass package to lay down. Well, it didn't happen. We had the wrong kind of winter here. We were cold, we were wet. The rye barely survived the winter. What rye we did have survive, maybe had 2,000 pounds of biomass where we typically need 10,000 pounds. So remember folks, we are, we are organic, we're regenerative, and we're trying to do this with no tillage or at least a, a very, very minimal amount of tillage is what we're trying to do this with. So we have no other choice. We don't have a, a, a chemistry easy button to push. We don't have a tillage button we can push. We're trying to do this with the biomass of the cover crop to suppress weeds. Well, Mother Nature again humbles you and says we're not going to do that. So again, like I started with, always expect the unexpected. We then went into this growing season with what I thought was gonna be a great start, wound up being a horrible start. And we then had to move into different plans. And the first plan we decided to do was forego planting beans with our corn planter on a 20 inch row spacing. And we luckily, I mean, things happen for a reason. We, we bought a, a, a John Deere N540C air seeder last year. Couldn't have been any better timing. And we decided to then drill or air seed, whatever you want to, however, whatever term you want to use, a majority of our soybeans. Because we figured since we didn't have the cover crop biomass to suppress weeds, we're going to now lean on the cash crop to, de to be that suppressor. So we put upwards of 250 to 260,000 seeds per acre. I mean, just tremendous. I mean, our seed order folks was three times what it should have been. Those are the kind of rates we put on. Trying to get that biomass from the soybeans to then become weed suppressors. I'm gonna tell you right now, we, we also, did not roll any right we rolled 100 acres and we quit and honestly where we haven't rolled any of the rye we just let the beans go we still did our plan we planted beans right around boot stage that's when we started and it worked through the spring and i'm going to tell you i'm very pleased with what i'm seeing right now we still have rye standing i mean it's starting to lean over pretty hard but now what we're going to do is we are going to move into plan W already, and we are going to probably take every acre of beans as a dual crop or a co-mingled cash crop of either rye or wheat, whichever we got both, and the beans, and we're going to separate A to then put in storage 
check germ. We'll have to check germ on this because this rye is going to be it's mature now, but we're going to let it stand all the rest of the summer. And we're going to take them together this fall. We'll harvest, separate, check germs. If we like the germ on this, we're going to keep it the amount we need for our own use. And then we're going to call the, the dairy and we're going to sell that product into the dairy. So we're going to have two sources of income off of these fields. And this is not what I intended to do. We usually try to roll all of our ride down, but I'm going to tell you right now, after thinking about this, I think we all should have some part of our farm deemed toward keeping that rye for our own consumption. And I go back to what I've been talking about, epigenetics. Let this rye adapt to our systems wherever you are in the world. Remember, context here is very important. And let that rye shine in your system and harvest that and and keep a bin of that rye at all times for your own use so that's what we're going to start doing i think more of now and i'll tell you what i'm also going to back off the the pounds of rye i think um i think we've overshot it uh when we started down this journey i don't know how many years ago 12 or so 12 or 13 with the cover crop um we started at like 40 pounds then we went to 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and worked our way all the way up to, like I said last fall, at 150. I think we've gone too far. I don't, I don't think we're letting the rye have enough room to tiller. I think we're actually overcrowding ourselves, if that's possible. I don't know if that is, but I'm, I'm just see, this is what I'm seeing. The rye did not tiller this year. Am I going to give up on it? No way. It's never failed us. This is the the most of a letdown we've ever had, but it's never failed us. It's still there and it's still holding weeds back. Now we do have some broadleaves and folks, if you were gonna have anything come late in the season, you want it to be a water hemp or a giant ragweed. We've got a question here. How do you manage water hemp and ragweed in a no-till organic system? Two ways. Uh, and this is from Josh. Josh, how you doing tonight? Josh, we do this two ways. The first way is the biomass of the cover crop, which is what I've been talking about. Okay, we can't always expect that to be there. We, we don't know what mother nature's gonna do to us. So then plan B on that is a weed zapper. A weed zapper will absolutely crush water hemp and giant ragweed. Now, if those are the only two broadleaves you have coming in your fields, you're in good shape because the zapper will, I, don't, I can't say control, but it will kill whatever weed of those two species it touches. So remember now, we got varying growth stages of these weeds when, and it will kill your soybeans and your corn. So you've got to stay above them. But so anything above those beans, you're probably going to kill. Anything below those beans that's, that's coming, it's not gonna kill them because you haven't touched them. So you may have to do this twice. But as I've said many times in the past, folks, if we can just bear down, buckle down, 
and not till because in my I've I, I had to till some fields this year I hate it but we had to till some and I'm going to tell you what you don't realize how good a foxtail you can grow until you till the field and get the disc out and start working that field down and in four days five days you've got a solid stand of foxtail it's unbelievable now yes we do have foxtail coming in our fields that we don't till also but at least is coming later in the season like august early august by then we hope that the beans are up they're canopying and they're going to hold some of that foxtail back it's not going to hold it all but hopefully hold it some but once we unleash the the tillage oh my gosh we have just germinated those weeds and here they come so uh we are living proof of that we've tilled now up to this point about 300 acres and um again expect the unexpected um i'm going to talk about um some of the things that didn't go right this year but I, I, there's another question here uh lita lorano i hope i pronounced that correctly how are you this evening did gun did gunslinger have a hard time surviving the wet cold winter as well uh yes and no not as much okay gunslinger folks for anyone who doesn't know it's the name of a a uh, cocktail that i i put together um and it's got oats uh peas radish sorghum sudan and balanza fixation clover and i would also add to gunslinger some hairy vetch because now you're kind of hedging your bet here vetch will probably survive the winter better than the clover will and if you add five pounds of vetch to this mix and if they both should survive that's fine let them both come you can terminate them still mechanically with either a roller crimper or a flail chopper and i want to talk about that too a little bit here of a different way to terminate but yes we had gunslingers survive in some areas and in other areas we didn't and i think what i'm going to attribute that to is we we have volunteer rye coming now in almost every field wherever we had a heavier stand of volunteer rye it helped uh protect those legumes over the winter that's where we had them survive a little bit better so if you're not having volunteer rye i'm almost recommending again i need to know what your termination method is but I think we should be putting a little bit of cereal rye with this uh, gunslinger as well to help with our carbon to nitrogen ratios, help uh, also have carbon introduced into that system through that, that higher carbon to nitrogen ratio of grass, the, the cereal rye. And also, when you look at what cereal rye does, it is a tremendous sequester of nitrogen that then is going to force the legumes to fix even more nitrogen, have bigger, greater nodules, and in effect, you will have more nitrogen in your system because now you've got your legume package 
that's fixing the free nitrogen and you've got your cereal rye that has sequestered the available nitrogen that's already been there in an organic state and it's gonna release later on in the season. So it, you've got to think about the dynamic here and I, I, I am to blame a lot on this. I don't think about carbon to nitrogen ratios enough when we build our cocktails or lack thereof because when you get to october you don't have much choice you have here where we live in west central, west central indiana you have to plant cereal rye you don't have much other choice because there's not much else going to survive into the winter at that point that late in the game so you have to keep all this in mind that when you come out next spring, you're going to have a tremendously high carbon to nitrogen ratio. So great question. Hopefully uh, we've answered those two. Uh, Kyle Vandenhall, how you doing, Kyle? I'm in Northwest Iowa. Must be up, uh, oh, Northwest Iowa. Okay, that's in, that's in God's country after you have great soil out there. Uh, Grundy County, maybe. Um, heavy till and synthetics on corn and soybeans no cover crops i would like to get to an end goal of organic diversity with animals as well what is a logical first step to start making this transition great question okay this is now rick's opinion there's many opinions to this but this is rick's opinion um cereal rye and soybeans those two were in my opinion were made for each other. Now, I wanna also talk about a possible variant here. We are in a, a second year study of using wheat as the cover crop instead of cereal. And I, I'll tell you what, the combine hasn't rolled yet, but the beans that are in the wheat this year are the best looking beans we've got again, and they were last year. Last year, we had organic beans uh, drilled into wheat in the spring. We didn't come back. We didn't bring the zapper in. We didn't do anything. We didn't harvest the wheat with the combine. We didn't relay. We didn't do anything. We didn't roll it, nothing. We just let it go. And eventually, I think what's happening here, there's a couple of things. One, the wheat is not near as tall as the rye, but the wheat still puts on tillers. It has a leaf profile. It is still suppressing weeds, kind of like rye does. Now, I don't know. I need to start testing the rye like, or I'm sorry, I need to start testing the wheat like we test the rye for the sequestration power. I don't know if wheat has the same power. I don't know, but we're gonna start doing that next year. We'll start pulling samples on every Monday of the wheat and see what kind of nutrients it can pull. But see what happens here then, your wheat only gets to be about three feet tall. And then as it reaches maturity, it all starts to droop over and now the beans start to climb out above that wheat. So now the beans have all the sunlight that they want. And so far, our wheat suppression is pretty darn good. 
So I think this goes back to what I talked about in an earlier podcast on a Q&A that we had earlier in the season. I told, I told everyone that we were going to have three methods of planting beans this year. We were going to plant beans into cereal rye at boot stage, and we were going to walk away and do nothing. We were going to plant beans in the cereal riot boot stage, and we were going to roll it like we normally do at Anthesis. And we were going to have beans that we were going to roll the rye at Anthesis and then plant the beans. And we, we did all three of those. And that happens to be the only 100 acres that we rolled was that third method. That was in, I think, June the 4th planting date of the soybeans. I mean, guys, we were already headed toward this drought, and the last 600 acres that we had to plant, we could not plant because we have so much mulch and thatch over the top of these fields. It's like two inches, three inches thick. The fields wouldn't dry. And we had to wait 10 days until after some of our other fields before these two 300 acre fields were fit to plant. So it got us all the way into June the 4th. That's when I decided we're going to roll the rye right ahead of the planter. We didn't have enough biomass. It would not stay down. So we quit. That is the only rolling that the 60 foot INJ roller did this year was that 100 acres. That's it. And if if you want my honest opinion, the weeds in that area that we rolled are way worse than the weeds in the areas that we didn't roll. So these are things, again, we've got to remember this in the future. When you have a, a cover crop that's not going to give you the biomass you need, it is my suggestion that we let it stand. And then if for some reason it should gain speed, say, as the growing season goes, which this year it's, it hasn't because we haven't had any moisture to fill these grains or these heads with grains. So the yield is going to be going to be terrible. Now, we did combine, oh, what we do? 160, we did about 200 acres of what we call relay which is where we just plant cereal rye with the seven and a half inch spacing drill. We don't leave any rows out like Lauren Steinlogge does in, in, in Iowa. And, and, and there's a bunch of other, uh, Mitchell Hoare is doing it, uh, Michael Vitito. There's a lot of people doing this now. I think it's a great idea, but we don't do that. We just, we just plant solid across the field in the fall and then we come in and I prefer to drill these beans, and then we're going to drill the same drill we used to, to drill the rye. We're going to drill the beans solid across the, the, the rye in the spring, and then we come in when that rye is ready, and we clip right over the top of the beans the rye. Now, like Lauren and, and those other folks I mentioned, they've actually got uh, blockers on their sickle bar on where the beans are and they're actually going in and laying the beans down just a little I mean, they're not smashing to the ground they're just laying them down enough to make sure their head is down getting all of that uh that rye or wheat 
probably wheat in that instance that's gone down but the rye typically will be high enough but you still got to put those blockers on because i've seen i've seen and like jason mock i mean i've seen these beans wow do they grow like normal beans and you got two rows of rye right on either side of them so you're going to have to use some kind of a blocker to, to lay those beans down a little bit but we don't do that our relay then is to drive in and drive right over the beans you knock some beans down but you know what this is about june the 30th to july the 7th time frame the beans in that in our scenario are eight eight nine inches tall over half of them are going to stand back up so i did the math um we're taking 40 feet with the draper and we've got 36 inch tracks so what is that six feet so out of that 40 feet of the draper what is that uh 15 percent and and if half of those beans stand back up and make it you're losing less than eight percent of the field to tracks i think that's pretty good because if you did the relay portion like like the other folks do and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with it i'm just saying that if you have a spot for your tires or your tracks to run in you're guaranteed zero yield of beans at least this way uh you've got some chance to get some beans in those tire tracks so that's why we do it that way plus you can do this to scale you, you can you can roll i mean 40 foot drill 40 foot draper you don't have to worry about alleys to drive in you just you just run so that's how we do it um let's see what lita has to say that makes so much sense thank you just remembered that gabe brown adds triticale to his oats and vetch based winter cover crop mixes now he might be doing that for other reasons but I mean, triticale, oh my gosh, is that a tremendous uh, feed source for cattle and, um, and oats. Uh, I love all that. Now, the other thing too that folks may be doing about this, Lita, is if you plant those species, now the oats are gonna winter kill unless I think a black oat would survive. I don't know about up there where Gabe is, but uh, uh, an ordinary forage oat uh is going to winter kill but they will help like the triticale it'll survive the winter it will help then hold that vetch more upright and let it kind of go up with the triticale instead of going going laterally across the field and sometimes that's good sometimes it's bad uh but we don't need a lot of of vetch or clover in these mixes five six pounds each max is all you need and if you can get the right kind of weather you'll have 10 11 12 000 pounds of biomass okay let's talk about that now for a minute if again come in with questions please come in with questions i just don't want to ramble here myself all night Okay, now let's talk about this for a minute. When we started down this journey many, many years ago, and by the way, folks, I'm gonna tell you right now, 
the best ROIs this farm has ever seen to date is when we reduced fertilizer by 60 to 70 percent we reduced chemistry by 60 to 70 percent we were a hundred percent cover crop and we were a hundred percent no-till um that is when we were knocking it out of the park okay so let's let's stay right there now now We've planted a gunslinger or something like it. I don't care. Pick your poison. I don't care what you do. The more, the merrier. Take gunslinger and add to it. I wish I would have put Harry Vetch with gunslinger. We should have put sunflower, sun hemp, uh, cow peas, um, you know, maybe some turnips. Again, depending on the time of season that it is because all those things I just mentioned are gonna win or kill. But anyway, let me, let me keep going here. So when we had these packages rolling and we were getting tremendous growth in the spring and we were sitting on our hands and we were waiting to plant corn until after Mother's Day. And then here comes this massive growth of these legumes and they're fixing nitrogen and I mean, we we are fixing 250 pounds of nitrogen and you go in and you no-till corn and i'm telling you folks if you've never done this before it is the absolute best planting you'll ever do in your life is to plant in to five pounds of hairy vetch and five pounds of a balanza fixation clover planted in the, the fall before and you're planting into 10 or 12,000 pounds of biomass. And, and you then come in and, and planting a non-GMO seed with no seed treatment, okay? Now come in five days later after planting. So you want this mix to continue to be growing and fixing that free nitrogen. Now, yes, we've ran over some, we've trampled some down. We've probably killed a little bit, but not very much. Five days later, come in with 12 ounces of Roundup. Now, again, don't, I mean, this is where I gotta be careful. People take me out of context. If someone just came in and listened to this, this is not what we do now. I am describing a situation that we used to do 12 years ago. Come in with 12 ounces of Roundup and terminate that, that legume. And folks, it is instant. Within days, instant gratification to your corn. Those nutrients are readily available now, immediately. Now let's fast forward to today. We are trying to do this mechanically. It does not work the same way. You are not going to get that release of those nutrients for maybe three or four weeks. And this is a huge detriment to this system because now our corn is lagging, it's, it's floundering, it's turning yellow. It does not like this. It wants to look around and see either another corn plant or something brown dying. It does not wanna see something green beside it that's not a corn plant. 
we have been fighting this for five years. I mean, this, it, it, it's wearing me out. Uh, I'm almost of the opinion, I, I, I feel like I can't raise corn anymore. So what we're gonna have to think about doing here is maybe a little bit of extremely light tillage. I mean, less than an inch. And basically what I'm thinking about doing is setting a disc or a, a, a vertical tillage tool down onto the, 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 the legume package and try to figure out where the blades are gonna be just at the ground level. And maybe you don't even disturb any soil, but I think that cutting and, and maybe a little bit of soil disruption, I mean an inch or less, is gonna get that release that we need and it's going to turn that, that legume package brown quicker than what we've been experiencing with the roller crimper. Now, I'm not advocating tillage here. Now, if you want to do tillage, I think this is the time to do tillage. In my opinion, I don't think tillage is a good thing, but if you're going to do tillage, do it when you have a massive factory of food that you're going to turn down and start feeding those microbes, and then they will start healing the, the system very, very rapidly. I'm okay with that. Going out and just doing tillage to do tillage, no, that's not good. But if you are putting fuel into that profile, and my goodness gracious, those microbes are going to just go bonkers, and all of that food is going to become readily available. I mean, I have seen corn that almost turns black. It is so green because there is so much there to grab a hold of. Now, we still need some help though with Mother Nature. We've got to get rain. I don't care what system you have. You cannot take days on end of 95 degrees and no rain. Even, even all these systems we all talk about, how we're armoring the soil, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're following the, the principles of soil health. Folks, eventually it all comes to fruition and it's all going to suffer. And we are. We have corn that's only about thigh high right now and it's suffering. We have beans that, that look pretty good. Actually, I think the beans look really good compared to no more rain than we have, we've had. And I don't, want to I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about no moisture. You want to talk to someone who hasn't had any moisture? Give Michael Thompson a call. That is an area with no moisture. We are just running a little bit behind. We still have moisture in the profile. The roots, they have to get down and they have to get after them. So that's what takes me back to this corn dilemma. We have to either A, find a, a hormone package, a stimulant package, something that a John Kempf, somebody much smarter than me is gonna come up with 
that can either A, we go out and we spray this over this legume package, whether it be a, uh, uh, a clover, a vetch, an alfalfa. You know how I love plant corn and the alfalfa. But if we could, somebody could develop a spray, a foliar spray that we could go out and, and subdue this legume package for three weeks. Give me three weeks, John, and let this thing lay down and almost turn brown. And then we plant our cash crop of corn and that corn's gonna come up. And I think by also subduing this with that, that hormone package or, or a microbial package of some sort, it's gonna start releasing the microbes that are inherent within your, within your system are gonna start digesting that material. We now have available nutrients to the corn crop and away we go. And then honestly, what would be awesome when our corn is about V5 or V6, have all that undergrowth come back to life again. And now that is going and being our wheat suppressor, then our corn will grow, we'll get our canopy, it will crush that cover crop for the second time, probably terminated at that point. And now we have done a whole program of how to raise corn with zero inputs except a foliar feed of a hormone package that will get you to subdue that legume cocktail. It's out there. It's out there somewhere. We just need to get it here and get it, you know, start using it and see what we can do. Now, we did spray Omri approved uh, a, a very small source of nitrogen. I mean, like uh, 8% in, in solution, very small amount. And a pound of pure cane sugar, organic Omri approved cane sugar. It's amazing what you can buy on Amazon. My daughter, Rachel, went on and bought a, a skid full of sugar. It's amazing. Get that sugar with that little bit of night. And I'm talking, folks, when we put this on, it was less than two pounds in. And it absolutely burnt that alfalfa brown, turned it brown for three weeks. The problem is I did. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know when to do this, so I waited until the corn was about V4, and we smoked the corn also. It turned every leaf on the corn brown, and then with the lack of rain and no rain, we lost the corn. So that's my fault, but that's okay. You know, I don't use the word failure. That was an outcome I didn't expect. I didn't think it burned the corn that bad but it burnt the corn and burnt the alfalfa to the point to where this, this browning of three weeks I'm talking about might be possible. So maybe what we do is we plant corn, five days later, we roll the, the alfalfa with the roller, then come in and spray this, this small amount of nitrogen and this sugar, maybe we add some, some humates and some fulvic acid. That'd probably be a good combo. 
and you go out and now spray this over that rolled uh, alfalfa before the corn has come up. And now that might be the three week window we need to get the corn to go. See, this is why I don't want to give up on this. I don't want to abandon this notion because I think we're so close to getting something to work here. So anyway, let's see what we got here. Uh, what might I expect the first season we don't till a field? This is from Kyle. Kyle, I don't know if I answered your question all the way. I got very sidetracked there. But to get started, and you, you said you're in uh, Iowa, I believe, Northwest. You're going to want to start with cereal rye behind a cornfield that do you think you can get? Uh, if you would, Kyle, please, please uh, respond back. Do you think you can find, I don't know what your operation size is, do you think you can find a 50 or 60 acre field that you would have corn harvested by October 15th? Do you think you could, that could happen? Now, while he's typing that response in, here's what I'm gonna say. I would go out and I would start with 80 pounds of Elbon cereal rye following the corn if you can get this done by october the 15th maybe october the 30th but that's really kind of pushing it uh you know anybody who follows me no I, I just i pound on this you have to plant these cover crops in a timely fashion in the fall you have to to get any hope of success next spring so Again, Kyle, 80 pounds, this is where I would start, 80 pounds, cereal rye, behind corn, hopefully by October 15th, come in next spring, and let's say you're, you're a beginner at this, so let, what, give me at least until the rye is three feet tall. Can you, can you do that? Plant your beans and terminate the rye with 16 ounces of Roundup, that's all you need. And, and we used to put in a quart of 28 with that mix. That's it. Water, 16 ounces of 28 and a quart or 16 ounces of Roundup and a quart of 28. Go spray and smoke every cereal rye there is out there. Your beans are going to come right up through it. Uh, don't worry about rolling it. If you kill it with the uh, glyphosate, it will just slowly melt down, and as it's melting down, the beans are coming up, and that's how I would get started. Then as you get more comfortable with this, you then want to think about a roller crimper and start eliminating the burn down chemistry altogether. And then roll crimp, then come back, scout, and spot post spray as needed. That's how I would get started. And you, I, I don't know where you are exactly, but when you say Northwest Iowa, I mean, I know that's beautiful dirt. You have huge yield potential up there. I think this would work beautifully out there. I think it would, it's gonna work anywhere. And then we'll talk about corn if we have time here later, but that's how I would get started. Um, what might I expect the first season we don't till a field? Okay, first thing is make sure your fields are smooth and the way you want them. Do you have any washes in them? 
Do you have erosion that needs to be taken care of? Whatever the case may be, if it's not exactly the way you want it, then till one more time and get this thing smooth because you hope you don't till this forever, but worst case scenario, you hope you don't till this for at least seven or eight years. You need this system to get building. So what you're going to find first is, in my opinion, again, these, these are differing opinions. I do not no-till corn into a field that is the first time you're going to no-till it because you have too much compaction. Corn does not like compaction. So I usually start with soybeans. Then you come behind soybeans with wheat. Then you've got um, a whole window of opportunity behind the wheat that you do not double crop beans. Now you get things like radish and turnips, sunflower, sun hemp, all of these things that have deep running roots. If you're gonna to continue to chemically terminate, then annual ryegrass, but it's probably gonna be a little too hot and dry following wheat for annual ryegrass. You'll need to do that more late August, early September. But all of these things then, and get your legume package in place, your gunslinger plus some vetch, now you're ready to crank, and now you're talking third week in August, fourth week in August, you're, you're putting all this out there. It's gonna grow up, it's gonna get a foothold. You're gonna get tremendous growth in the fall. Your legumes are gonna get the third trifoliate. They'll survive the winter. Now you're gonna come out next spring. So you, you started no-till with beans, that's season one. You then raised wheat no-till, season two. Now you're ready for corn no-till, that's the third season. So you've gone through two freeze events on this no-till. You've gone through cocktail packages to build the diversity. Now you're ready for corn. That's how I would, would start this system. And that's what I would expect in your first year of no-till, you're gonna be fighting serious compaction. I mean, we do all we can to stay off these fields until they're fit. And folks, we still have compaction. So it's always gonna be there. Um, let's see what we got here. Um, who's this from? Um, Lita, I hope I'm saying that right. I hope it's Lita. So it has a tremendous weed controlling ability and it is rather short. I wonder if soybeans can be competitive enough to grow through the spell. I would think so. Um, I don't know a lot about spelt, Lita, but I don't know if if you're going to lose all of your quality, which I'm going to guess you will, if you let the spelt go until the beans are mature, you're probably going to lose all of your milling quality. But And I don't know a lot about spelt, so I don't know how tall it is, but that's probably an excellent choice for relay. Uh, if you are in an area where salt is in that market, I would highly consider relay cropping that. That's a great, great point. Thank you. Uh, Josh Nelson, how is your Johnson Sioux coming along? 
and what was your feedstock? Johnson Sue's coming great. We, I'll tell you what we did on the first two. And I broke the rules just a little bit here, but this is so easy to do. You know those bags that are those three foot cubic bags that horse people use to put in their stall and their shavings and they're all nice, it's almost like sawdust. That company that I sourced them from is about 35 miles away from here, about 40 miles south. So I did not use leaves that were, well, that were inherent within my region or my farm, but we used their sawdust. So hopefully I don't get dinged from um, um, Elaine Ingham or, or David Johnson or any of the other people that, that want you to use your own stuff. Then we used um, alfalfa from, from our area and we used some horse manure that from our horses. And we bought a um, um, wood chipper and except this, we didn't have to do the, the three foot cube, cube, the three cubic foot through the chipper because it was already sawdust but we ran the alfalfa through the chipper and we ran the poop through the chipper. And then, then we just built and, and we built, we did it like, like Dave wants you to do. We soaked everything down in a, in a trough and then we scooped it into the reactor and we layered it and we did all that. And then we went to town, we bought a timer. We built a PVC cage, uh, drilled holes in it, got a hose hooked to it. So the two reactors, and I think Eric has it set for 8.14 in the morning. The, the water runs for a minute and a half. And I'll tell you what I like. There's so many, uh, you, you know, you have to listen to what other people say and do. And you take little pieces of other people's thoughts. Kyle Schnell in, in Iowa, I heard him talk about his reactors. He uses the totes that you would get like 265 gallons of a liquid material in. It's got a valve at the bottom. Open the valves. When you, if, if a minute and a half of water, you'll know if that's enough because you'll have a little trickle of water come out of your valve. And we do. If you don't have any water come out, you probably don't have enough water going in on the top side. Great idea. So things like that let you know that you're kind of doing this the right way. But I am absolutely tickled. I can't wait until we can get these reactors out and, and, and get into an extractor and extract these microbes off of this, this beautiful compost that we're building here. So yeah, reactors are coming great. Uh, Claudia is asking, does the spray have to be organic? Claudia, I've jumped around so much. I need to know uh, if they are not organic, they can use CISBAY AGN LTE microbial to add to, let's see here, what's she say? Add to the soil and the seeds. Okay, um, Claudia, give me a little help here. Are you talking about, here we go, for the foliar? Okay, you mean the foliar that I talked about when we uh, added sugar to it? Um, the spray for me has to be organic. It's got to be either OMRI approved or it has to be um, 
whatever, I can't think what California's designation is called, but California is probably more strict than Omri. So, um, um, yes, it has to be, <coughs> for me, organically approved. And that, it's so easy to source that stuff. Uh, Rachel went online, found organic Omri approved cane sugar, ordered a, a, a pallet of it, and four days later it showed up on the back of a semi. So it's very easy, very simple. Uh, it was very soluble. The guys didn't have much, and, and I don't think it gunked every, everything up too bad. I mean, you know, it gets a little sticky, but wow, the energy that that sugar gives to the, the system is incredible. And, and I know a lot of people use sugar also as a defensive mechanism against, um, against a pest like an armyworm. See, armyworms and black cutworms do not want to eat things that have high sugar levels. So if you follow moth flights at all, we used to do that. I don't do that much anymore. But if you do follow moth flights and you do the math and it's all based on GDUs and you figure out when that peak brood is going to, that outbreak is going to be, you could go out three or four days prior and spray sugar water on your soybeans or corn slash cereal rye and that will deter the uh, army worms from devastating your cash crop. So there's many, many thing, ways to look at doing, you know, how you're going to use these attributes. And another thing that we're starting to do here is we're starting to do sap testing. I, I, you know, I, I like John Kempf. John Kempf is genius. And he's got so many good ideas. And Nicole Masters, uh, you know, Chris Nichols, all of these people, they, they all go down to the same thing. We've got to be feeding that biology. So, you know, I, I read a, a small article about Nicole this week, Nicole Masters. She can walk onto your farm, look at, at what you have growing in your fields, and she can tell you what your tillage practices have been, what your weed uh, pressures are, if you're a bacterial-based farm or a fungal-based farm, and she's just walking around making observations. That's powerful. That's powerful stuff. So we need to, to take what they say and use it wisely. And they are very willing to give their information to us. So we have to take it. Um, Lita, how much sugar and water per acre do you use in at which stage of plant development? Good question. We used a, a pound of sugar to the acre and we, our carrier was water and we put on 20 gallons of water to the acre. I wanted to get good coverage. Um, I like doing this on the corn at V3, V4. Then I would want to come back at probably V8 or V9 and do it again. Now, again, what we did that first pass and I was experimenting and I smoked the corn is we had a little bit of an Omri approved nitrogen source with it and we crushed the corn because it then got hot 
and sunny and that sugar with the nitrogen, it just boiled that corn and it, 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 it was the end of it. That was my mistake. I won't do that again. But some people put on a half a pound of sugar. I like the pound. Some people use molasses. Whatever, pick your poison, whatever you like, whatever you like. Uh, Dusty, I'm in transition to organic and having trouble with Johnson grass. What do you think about this, about the home plate organic herbicide? Oh, Dustin, or Dusty, ah, I don't like it. I, 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 you know, I've not tried very many of these things in the past years because I just have been leery. We got enough home plate to do 90 acres at oh what was the rate 2.8 gallons per acre i mean dusty this was sixteen thousand dollars we spent on 90 acres didn't do a thing it yeah it turned some some grass maybe brown for a couple of days and foxtail that was only one or two inches tall didn't do anything to it. And it says on the label that it controls Canada thistle. It, it turned them brown for two or three days and they greened right back up. No, I, I, don't, I don't know about Johnson grass. I, I, we didn't have any of that. But I, I just think that if we can get our, our biomass up on these cover crops, we can suppress a lot of these weeds. Now, grass is the problem. Quack grass, oh my gosh, barnyard grass. That stuff will suck the living life out of everything. But luckily, and, and guys I, I'm t and gals, I, this all goes back to biology. As much as we have tried to do here, we're still not there because it's about balance. Obviously, we're still not heavy enough fungal. We must be, I need to do some more testing again on the bacteria. We've got Haney tests, I need to pull them out. Uh, Mitchell Hora did them for us this year. Uh, I need to look at those relationships of the fungal to bacterial because I've gotten to be very good friends with John and Nicole and, and Chris, and Nicole will tell you, Rick, what you need to do is create an environment that is not conducive for the, the foxtail to germinate and grow. You're not going to kill the foxtail. Don't misunderstand here. You're not gonna go out and spray a product that's going to kill the grass. That's not what this is about. You are creating an environment that the foxtail does not want to germinate and grow in. That requires biology. So that's what we have to continually be looking for. We've tried some of those products this spring. I think we were a little too late. We're not going to give up on them. We're going to try some again next spring. I think we need to get after the foxtail sooner in the growing season and create this microbial environment that foxtail says, that's not where I want to grow. 
So I'm not going to waste my energy here in Germany yet. I'm going to just lay here. The same thing is going to happen with Johnson grass. Same thing is going to happen with water hemp. We're going to have prescriptions of either A, cocktails of certain species, or B, microbial attributes that are then going to create those environments that water hemp does not want to grow in. That's what we're going to do. We're doing it now. So I think, and I'm going to go back to, uh, uh, is it, was it Kyle from, from Northwest Iowa that's wanting to transition? I hope I got, the, yes, Kyle Vandenhall. Kyle, I'm going to go back to you now. I was, I'm a very stubborn person. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you. I'm very stubborn. But here's what I'm going to tell you. If anyone listening to this is going to transition from a full-blown tillage system into a regenerative reduced tillage slash no-till cover crop, then I am urging you to use these microbial packages to help you get the system jump-started. I did not. So our transition has taken a long time. We're still transitioning. It's taken a long time. I think we should have used some of these products. There's many. I've only mentioned John Kemp's name. There's many products out there. I don't sell anything, so I don't get any kickback from anything I talk about. But there are a lot. But do your homework. Try to find packages or, or bottles of that 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 the microbes are at least alive in there and they're going to come out and thrive in your system but now we have to be careful here too there are bad microbes so we could introduce inadvertently introduce something that we don't want in our system we have to be careful here that's why i like the Sioux reactor and use products that are inherent within your region. I think when this fall comes, my dad lives on a, on a farm, it's called Oak Hill Farm, and he must have a hundred oak trees around his house. And he, I don't know, I can't imagine how many leaves he takes off that farm every year those leaves need to be built or need to be put in to bioreactors. And then we're going to have something that is inherent within our local region. Then what I wanna do then, and, and this probably almost qualifies for a woods, except that he's mowing the yard all the time. That's the difference here but we need to go out in a woods that's in your area and you need to collect something from that woods. It doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, when you start thinking about filling up one of these uh, 265 gallon mini totes and, and make that your, your Sioux reactor, it takes a lot of stuff to fill that. So, but what I'm talking about is maybe go out in the woods and bring back a five gallon bucket of, of some old sticks, some leaves, 
things that have never been disturbed with by man, mankind, and sprinkle those into your reactor as you layer it up, build it up. I think we had four people on on our on our two reactors we built. I think we had them build in an hour or less. It's not that big a deal. So get it done. Stop saying you're going to do it because that's what I was doing for five years. I said, I'm going to build a reactor. I'm going to build a reactor. Never did it. Finally, we've got it going. And is it going to work? I don't know. But we're going to find out. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's a very cheap investment. Uh, I'd say right now we've got less than $200 invested in this whole, in this whole reactor. And um, we'll have a little bit more than that invested later. I mean, we got to get an extractor or build something like an extractor. I think we can do that. I think you could use a cone bottom tank, put a pump on it, put, put water in it, put your, put your compost in and turn the pump on. And cause see what, here's what you got to think we're trying to do here. All those microbes are attached in there eating and chewing on all that compost. We need to wash those microbes off of that compost and save them then in that water solution. That's what this is all about. So get a big tea bag, put five pounds of your black compost in a big tea bag, put it in a, in a, in a big plastic cone and turn on the fill it full of water and turn on the pump. And here come the microbes flowing out of that tea bag. It's that simple. And then don't get enough of a mesh screen on your spraying apparatus that you've now screened out all your microbes. You want to use like an 80 micron or, 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 or a little bit bigger of a hole. You don't want to use something over 100. You're probably, gonna, you're probably going to uh, screen them out. So just keep all that stuff in mind. Um, yeah. Okay, Kyle. Thank, thank you so much for that transition timeline. The first step is always the hardest. That's right, Kyle. And you got to remember here, we've got to try and set ourselves up for success because, you know, I don't know where you are in the family. I don't know if you're the, the youngest generation on the farm uh, or if you're the middle. I don't know. But a lot of farms still have grandpa farming and dad farming and now the the son or daughter farming or a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law so sometimes it's hard to convince everyone in the family that this is what we need to be trying because they don't know anything different and that's fine i'm not putting that down we're not here to put that down that's not why we will do this but if it doesn't work, they're going to say, see, Kyle, I told you this doesn't work here. We're not ever going to do that again. So please make sure either A, you know, contact me. We have a consulting service. Contact somebody else. Get help. Uh, I don't know who all is out in your neck of the woods in northwest Iowa that you could call. I'd have to think about it. But make sure that we're doing things as correctly as we possibly can so that we can set up for as much success as possible. Because believe me, I, want to, I would love to see every acre covered with a cover crop. That would make, before my life is over, that would make me so happy if every acre 
if only for a few months out of the year would be covered with a cover crop, we would be so much better off, this world would be. So please make sure that we go slow and, and do it right the first time. Any, any other questions? Anybody got anything? Let me see, I think I gotta scroll down here. Let me take a look. Yes, here we go. Um, I'm in transition to organic and having trouble with John's. Oh yeah, okay. Yep, Dusty, I hope we got through that. D Johnson grass is a toughie, man. Ooh, that, that's hard. But I think if we keep pounding it with cereal rye, you're going to suppress it and probably eliminate it. Now, here's another thought. I don't know where you are. Again, I don't know your context. I don't know if you have a dairy close by. Go to alfalfa in that field. Three years of alfalfa and there won't be any Johnson grass left because it's getting cut every 21 days and you won't have any weeds left. Remember that. If you have an opportunity to raise alfalfa and sell to a dairy or to a, a feedlot, anybody who will buy alfalfa, that's also a great way to transition to organic. That's how we did it. So you're getting multiple things taken care of at the same time. You are planting a crop that will pay you good money to then transition. That's number one. You are also planting a crop that's going to be cut every 21 days or 25 or whatever the dairy's magic number is that now is totally eliminating any weed pressure because the weeds aren't gonna grow in that environment. Our alfalfa fields are absolutely weed free, zero. And we don't do anything except bring back manure to those fields because remember, all of that removal is too much. So you have to bring something back. And we, since we're organic, that's why we bring back the manure, chicken litter, cattle manure, hog manure, whatever, whatever it is, turkey litter, whatever. But you have to bring it back. And then when you know you're going to transition out, plant cereal rye, 40 or 50 pounds of cereal rye with that alfalfa after the last cutting of the last fall you're going to have it then you'll have that cereal rye with you next spring because remember now of two or three years of multiple cutting removal there is no carbon left in the system here it is all gone so we have to introduce that high carbon source that grass to help balance back that carbon in the profile. Okay, how do you combat for tar spot in corn in organic? This is from Galax Galaxy A32 5G. I like that name. Um, I've never seen it on our farm, Galaxy. I believe, I truly believe that if you build soil health, you build balance, you will no longer need anything to worry about pests like that. I have seen tar spot in our neighbor's fields absolutely destroy their fields, and they're right next to ours, 
and we don't have any trouble. Now, I also think that you need to have, again, high sugar levels. Bricks is another way to say it. There is a, a spectrometer that you can purchase and you can go out and you can take BRICS readings all day long. I think that's very important. The higher the BRICS, the healthier your plant, the healthier your plant is, and you will have less susceptibility to a disease coming in. Now think about a herd of animals. The disease always gets started where? In the weakest animal, the one that has a vulnerability for a disease. And then that disease starts there and then it spreads throughout the rest of the herd. If you can eliminate those weakling species within your herd or your cocktail or your cash crop, you will then not be susceptible to these pathogens. I truly believe that. Again, I've not seen any armyworm pressure on our farm for three years, and I think it's totally due to the facts, the fact that we have high BRICS levels in our crops. Okay, hopefully I answered that. Um, Claudia is, is telling us the AGN would be great I can send them my info if they would be interested in microbial tech. We have 10 patents and have many trials in all the USA. Yeah, Claudia, uh, we, Claudia and I talked uh, a couple of weeks ago on a Zoom call. Yeah, Claudia, I, you guys might be on to something. Um, I, 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 there, there's, there's too much here, I think, that's going to happen that we need. We need this hormone package. And we need this, this, this microbial, I don't know how to describe it. We need like a, we need like a cataclysmic event that happens when you dump on a certain bi uh, biome of microbes. And that, that, what I mean by that is they're going to come in and just absolutely electrify the existing microbes that are within that biome. That's why I keep talking about. It's not so much, I don't think we need to add more microbes to our system. We need to find the, the, the products that stimulate the microbes that we have. That's what I think we're missing here. All right, Dusty, wow, that way too much even if it were. I heard you and John Kemp mention cutting the wheat or plant you want to control and ferment it in tote and then use to make a spray solution. Have you experimented with this yet? Why, yes, we have. But I'll tell you what I haven't done. And Dusty, thank you for reminding me because we need to gather some chicory. I forgot all about this, but here's what we did do. We gathered alfalfa, we soaked it in water for three or four weeks. We actually even bought a, an air pump and we pumped air into this solution for three weeks. The pump never shut off. So we kept the solution aerobic. We didn't let it go anaerobic. 
we then went out and sprayed this onto corn. And we added uh, about three quarters of a pound of sugar to that solution. I'm gonna tell you, I, it helped. Now, did it slow down the alfalfa? No, it did not. But I think we grew a quick batch of, of, of microbes because I brought them in, I've got a microscope. We, I brought the salute, as a matter of fact, it's on the desk over on the other side of the, the computer here, you can't see it. But uh, we brought solutions home and I put them underneath the microscope and sure enough, there's all kinds of stuff swimming around in there, all the good stuff. So yes, uh, we're doing that, but thank you because I need to gather some chicory and get it going in an anaerobic situation and then go back out and spray that solution on chicory and I think we can kill it. Thank you, Dusty, for reminding me we're gonna do that tomorrow. Um, there you go, Claudia is telling us the AGN is live microbes and one gallon per acre. Claudia, give us your website if you would, please. There's probably gonna be people that are gonna care about this. Um, again, I was on a Zoom call with those folks a couple of weeks ago. They've got a lot happening. Uh, I will definitely be in touch with them and, and probably try to work with uh, more stuff in the future. We were too late in the game this year. And I, I, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, it was very refreshing to have a company tell me that they're not going to sell me a product because it's probably too late in the season to do that. Isn't that refreshing? We're going to wait another year and we're going to try to get with you in the springtime and get that product applied at the right time. That's exactly what I've been talking about. We have to set things up for success. If they would have tried to shove that product down my throat and say, no, Rick, we want it on your farm. We'd love to see you trial this and it belly flops. What do you think I'm going to do? I don't want to use their product again. So that to me is very smart. So I applaud AGN for that. Lita, how do you integrate cattle into your system? Right now, cattle uh, are on the back burner. Um, I think cattle are very important. I probably should not have them on the back burner, but I'm gonna be honest with you. We probably need more help here on the farm. I would like to probably start interviewing for some kind of a, of, uh, a herdsman or herdswoman and, and think about how we can grow the herd back because here's what I'm finding. Remember I told you earlier that so far, some of the best field fields of beans that we have right now are beans that were in wheat. Remember I said that earlier in this, in this podcast? I'm going to tell you where the next best beans are at. In fields that were grazed with cattle two years ago. That is what I'm seeing. The cattle are making a change. We all know the cattle make change. We know that, but I am actually starting to see it firsthand. The beans that are on those fields are some of the best beans we have. And again, we have to be aware of compaction. Now, cattle do not create as much compaction as people want to say they do. 
it's very minimal, one to two inches probably at most, unless it is an extremely wet environment and you're on soils that can't handle that, then yeah, you're probably gonna pug six, eight inches deep. You shouldn't have your cattle out there anyway. You need to find another area to put them in and get them off of those fields. But my point here is you would think logic would tell you that you would plant corn behind cattle because of all those nutrients that the cattle are laying down. Well, I'm gonna tell you that the corn cannot handle the compaction, in my opinion, in the context of where I am, West Central Indiana, silt, clay, loam, soil types. So we then come in and if I can, I'd love to do soybeans or wheat these particular fields, they were, they, I went into a regen after the cattle then came in with soybeans. So it's a combination of many things happening here, but the cattle are a large part of that. So Lita, to answer your question, we try to rotationally graze. Now I don't, I'm not a grazing expert like, like Gabe is. I don't even pretend to be a grazing expert. I think the way he does it is the best. Multiple moves during the day and, and mob grazing, bring in 800 head on an acre of ground and in two hours, get them out. <clears throat> Many good reasons for that. I don't have the people to do that. I don't have the numbers of head of uh, cattle to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what we do is we build a paddock that I think will last for seven days. Now, I still follow the rules of grazing. So if it gets eaten down by 50% and it's only after five days, we've got to move them. Even though I thought it would last seven, it doesn't matter, got to move them. Now, here's what's bad about that. When you leave an animal in an area like that for multiple days on end, they're going to cut trails through that acreage to get to the water supply. Now those trails are serious compaction, where when you do it Gabe's way, you don't get those trails because the animals are constantly moving and eating and peeing and pooping, and then they're moving two hours later to the next paddock. So there's pros and cons. You have to make it work for what you are available and able to do at the time. Is my way the best? No, my way is not the best, but it is working. Okay, Kyle, uh, I am the youngest generation of 35. I assumed you were, Kyle, but I didn't want to say for sure. But just recently got back into farming after seeing a way other than till and spray over and over. Trying to work with my dad, who is 70, to start to transition the farms while not messing with profitability of the farm. Beautiful. How that's exactly the mindset you have to have. So don't push dad too hard. Don't push him hard at all. You know, go in, establish some, some cereal rye this fall, come in and chemically terminate. I assume you're still using chemistry. Uh, chemically terminate to just show how you can do this, but then you're gonna wean off of this chemistry in a year or two, and you're gonna then 
all of a sudden wonder why you didn't do this 10 years ago. And, and you need to have success that first time. So, you know, maybe, maybe take an 80, take an 80 acre field and split it in half and do 40 acres cereal rye and let the other 40 do whatever it is you do. You, you, you vertical till and you rip or whatever it is. And then keep track of the dollars spent on every step of this. So document this whole process, you know, from, from when the combine pulls out, then start documenting. You know, we got to buy the cover crop seed. It's going to cost you whatever, 30 cents a pound, 80, 80 pounds. That's 24 bucks an acre. You got to then pay to, to drill it out there. So write that charge down, all of these things, and then go over to the other side. What are you going to do over there? Write all that down. Um, so then at the end of the growing season next year, now look at the ROI. Okay, you maybe didn't yield as much as your old way, but what did you put in your pocket at the end of the day? That's what matters. So try it. Don't push dad too hard. Just, you know, guide him here a little bit. And, it, you know, I don't know your family. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything, but obviously dad is probably thinking about getting, you know, how am I going to hand this off to, to you? Uh, that day's coming. So just get prepared and, and be ready. Great comments. Paul Thomas. How you doing, Paul? How much shrinking have you seen in your reactors? Oh my gosh, Paul. I can't believe the first reactor we built, uh, you know, these 265 gallon totes are, I don't know, 50 inches tall probably. And we brought it all the way to within two or three inches of the top. And now after what, six weeks, it's dropped about a foot. So I hope that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, oh, by the way, we also, we have a thermometer and we, we were monitoring the temperature uh, down in the middle. And when it got below, I think 80 degrees, we put in the red wiggler worms. So we've got, um, we've got, 20, uh, no, two, uh, about 3,000 worms we dumped in this first reactor. And now the second reactor, we've taken its temp, it's down, the, or the worms are ordered, and they're going to go in. Now the second reactor we did a little differently, and I'm going to tell you I don't want to do it this way again. We did not do the pre-soaking step first. We built the reactor, and then as we were building it, we were watering it in the reactor, that thing has settled over half, it's come down. So that's not the way to do it in the future. So you need to do that wetting process. Um, and, and that's important to do as you're building that reactor because then, then you're, you've got the density and, and everything's wet and it packs really good as, as you build it. Um, Lita, Paul, my Johnson Sioux reactor shrank by three quarters. I've heard two thirds is more typical. So Lita, how, how far are you into the, how many months into the reactor are you to be three quarters? I mean, three quarters shrank, that, that's not very much left. I hope you're heading into the end of the process, not, not toward the beginning. 
your 14 months. Well, I would think you're ready to, to extract, I would think, uh, at 14 months. So anyway, okay, so Claudia here, I want to contact Erin, your past guest, and see if she can work with it and see how we can make things more effective. Would it be okay to put my digital card here? Yes. I will forward that to Aaron. I will do that. Uh, that was a, a great episode last week. Uh, if you didn't hear it, wait for the um, wait for the the recording. Rachel does all this. I folks, I couldn't do this without all the help. I get I get help from my wife Carol. I get help from Rachel. I get help from Eric. I get help from everybody. Uh, you cannot do this by yourself. Uh, Rachel spends a lot of time on this and and she is now getting all of the podcasts that she can time willing it takes a long time to to crunch you got to run them through a software package and you got to crunch them and it's got to be in the right format for the and it takes hours to crunch these podcasts and i think rachel said uh, we're in the the business sector of podcasts on the apple network and we're in the top 150 of, of all podcasts worldwide. I mean, that is just awesome that we're getting this kind of success with this. This is what I want to do. I want to teach people and do exactly. I mean, this is great what we've been doing tonight, this back and forth. I do apologize. We don't have audio on, but it would be a train wreck if everyone was talking on top of each other. So I greatly appreciate you typing in your information. Uh, Ed Bourgeois on. Ed, you're my you're on every single time. Uh, Ed, sheep or cattle? Uh, super inoculators. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, we've got Carol's got a sheep project, um, and I'm going to tell you that's one of the ways that we're trying to eliminate this chicory is to have the sheep do it for us. And chicory is a natural. Um, uh, dewormer for sheep. So it is a beautiful species to have for sheep. And I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, if and gals, if anyone out there is still using chemistry, by all means, get chicory in your cocktails. What it does to your soil is absolutely mind blowing. The deep taproot it's, it starts out about that big around at the ground and it goes down into a very small tap root. They probably run six, seven feet deep. Then they've got hair roots that come off of that tap root. I mean, when you pull up one of those uh, chicory plants, the soil in that area around that plant could not be any more mellow. I mean, we've got, we've got clunky black muck soil up in the northern part of where we farm, that if you have one shot in the spring, so if, you, if you're tillage or, or no-till, it doesn't matter. You've got one chance in the spring. If you get it wrong, that field is concrete the rest of the summer. There's people out there that know what I'm talking about. That field is absolutely littered with, with chicory but I've never seen the field in better shape. The soil aggregates, the structure, it is, it is what you dream of. Now, that's not good for, it's good and bad because I don't know how to get rid of it. I mean, I know how to get rid of it, but I'm gonna have to do tillage and that's what we're doing. I hate 
tillage, but I have no choice. So we're going to till these chicory fields and try to eliminate, but you've got to get down four inches. And, and I think if we run a field cultivator four inches deep and we slice it off, we can eliminate this chicory, I hope. But the stuff that it's done for you is unbelievable. So if you're still using some chemistry, you only need a couple of pounds in a cocktail. You don't need very much. Ed, how you doing tonight? Thank you for your comments, appreciate it. Lita, thank you, 14 months on your reactor. Galaxy, uh, A32, will the reactor help corn early to fight through alfalfa? I, I hope so, Galaxy. That, I, I, here's what I think we're going to do with this reactor. This is what I think we're gonna do. We're going to extract it and we either A, need to build our own seed treatment setup, but it's not gonna be a seed treatment. It's gonna be the extraction from that reactor and we're going to inoculate the seeds and then go out and plant. And then I don't know if we do that or I don't know if we just, we still have the Keaton firm, firmers on the planters and we still have the liquid system, which luckily we didn't take those off. So we might infurrow this and then we might come back and foliar feed. I think we might do some of everything. Now, the, the seed treatment one is probably a little bit more of a difficult. I, I need to look for a used seed treat, treatment, little, you know, little plant. It's got its own tub and, and, and everything. And, and I don't know if you soak the beans or you spray them or I don't know what, but we need to think about how we're gonna do that but I think that full, you know, foliar feeding, in furrow, and seed treatment, all three are going to be beneficial. And that just might be, you know, what we need to jumpstart this corn to get it through this alfalfa. I'm not going to give up on it. I mean, we're getting crushed this year. I've, we've lost 100, or I'm going to say I. I've lost 180. I don't say I very often. This is all my my doing here. I've lost 180 acres of corn into alfalfa because it simply got too dry. And I went out and put on the little bit of nitrogen with the sugar water. Kind of sealed the deal. Now, we've also got some alfalfa that we did a very little bit of light tillage on, and it's looking better, but again, we got to have rain. So it's not looking very good either. So I don't care what ideas we come up with, we still need water to make it all work. All right, Lita, have you considered burning down your legume cover crop ahead of corn with fresh manure slurry instead of nitrogen with sugar water? Um, Yes and no. Last year, Lita, we tried something pretty crazy. I thought it would work and it should have worked and I still don't know why it didn't. 
we planted our corn into the cover crop and then when the corn was at v3 the dairy came in and draglined 8,000 gallons of cattle manure right over the top of that corn when it was at v3 that should have worked it i mean the corn grew but what happened was when you bring that kind of food into the system you absolutely unleash your weeds and we provided a tremendous environment for weeds to grow foxtail was four feet tall we had pigweed we had water hemp we had all of these things competing with that corn crop now the corn didn't yield near what i thought it should have yielded and we had a weather event we had a weather event last year at the wrong time we had bean fields that looked like they were going to make in the 40s and 50s and then this weather event came three weeks of a flash drought 95 degrees it was late august and we had no rain <clears throat> Beans absolutely aborted pods, and pods were aborting beans. And beans that looked on August the 1st that looked like they were going to make 40 and 50 wound up making 20 and 30. Corn that looked like it was going to make 145 made 100. So we had a terrible wrong time weather event that just crushed us last year. So again i don't care how resilient you think your system is you're not going to be able to overcome mother nature and the wrath that she can put down on you so we can only do the best we can do that's why i try to to talk about also is we have to think about realistic yields in the system that we are trying to make better every single day do i want to raise 200 bushel corn yes i would love to can i realistically probably not not today but that doesn't mean we won't get there so we have to look at this stuff realistically and we have to always have as many outs as we possibly can so let's go back to that 180 acres that we lost the corn into alfalfa. That's what we did. We called the dairy up and they came in and took the little bit of corn that was left that was mixed with the alfalfa and took it off and we got paid for feed. And they're gonna come back and take another cutting. So it's not a total loser. Is it gonna make as much money as the corn would have made? Not even close but it's not a loser. So we have to lick our wounds on that one. And now you look at the rest of your farm as the average to bring up your expected outcomes. That's how I look at it. That's not for everybody, but that's how we look at it here. Do you feel like the weed seed manure came, or the weed seed came in the manure? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, Paul, that water hemp came from all of our neighbors that are growing silage for that dairy and they got water hemp as tall as the corn 
and it went right in <clears throat> to the feed source, right into the cow's mouth, right through the rumen and right out the back end and into the, into the slurry and out to the field, you bet. So we have to be careful of all of these things. I mean, I don't care what kind of manure it is. You, now, probably the least manure that I'd worry about is chicken manure, and here's why. Chickens have a gizzard, and they typically have some kind of a stone that they've put in their gizzard, and that stone actually grinds up the food that they eat. So those seeds that they're eating in that feed source are getting ground up, and they're not viable seeds then when it comes out in their litter. And that would be the one that I would think would give you the least amount of weed pressure. I would think pigs are, mm, pigs and cattle are, are probably tied for number one. And chickens, I think, are way down that list. But you got to remember, there may not be weed seeds coming with the chicken litter, but the chicken litter is going to turn on whatever weed seed bank you have and just make it explode. And that's what's happening. Great questions, great commentary. Um, I'm gonna probably start to wind down here. If anybody got anything um, that they'd like to interject here before we, before we say goodbye for the evening. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much. And, you know, I don't want to complain about it being dry because there are people out west in the plains that haven't had any respectable, measurable amounts of rain for 18 months plus now. That is dry. So believe me, I don't even want to think we're dry. But please keep your head up. It will rain. It always does. We just hope it will come soon enough to help. And we have to always be prepared for whatever whatever Mother Nature is going to throw at us. So thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. Um, it's been great. Everyone have a great rest of your night, a great rest of your week. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.